please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello, good morning. Welcome to Morning Espresso. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of September 2020. Um, yeah, as usual, we have the fantastic translators available to you uh, via the button below. So if you would like uh, to listen to this session in one of your, the other languages, then please just uh, click below and you'll see the various options. Um, you'll also see a Q&A button there, so feel free to ask any questions along the way. Uh, but you can also send us questions to nordiafunds at nordia.com and someone will get back to you. Today, back by popular demand, is our senior macro strategist, Dr. Sebastian Gali. Um, Sebastian, we've missed you. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Okay. So it's been a while since we last spoke. Um, so I thought perhaps it would be a good idea to perhaps start with um, an update on how the markets are looking and, and what your general views are now. Sure. I mean, the, the message that we want to give is that it is a buy on dip uh, environment. And there are two things that are happening is that a rally in the carry trade was supported basically by expectations of vaccines, which means it's good for hotel, tourism, and long-term growth. The second element is that the carry trade is very powerful. It's reinforced by the fact that we're moving in the right part of the U-shaped recovery, which means data is coming in somewhat better than expected. Uh, and we're getting a lot of traction, which will translate into more growth, both in Q4 and into next year. And as part of this, of course, we continue to be quite excited by emerging mar market and a rebound in the Asia Pacific region. Now, having said that, this is a second element is that we will eventually get some form of consolidation in September or October. And why? Because we have very low uh, credit spreads, for example, very high cross-asset correlation, things move together, uh, things are tight, some things are quite expensive, particularly on the growth side. And of course, there's a great discussion about what is expensive or not in growth. A Tesla might actually make some sense or not. That depends on the analysis of um, the portfolio managers and the analysts. And what we can say is that once we get that correction, we're going to see the ECB and the Fed, which have been very subdued recently, become very, very aggressive, which means it should be a buying opportunity growth stocks, for example, uh, climate, but many others. And for example, we can mention that in such an environment, which is more complex, flexible solutions, such as the start concepts, ESGs and the likes are, are very interesting from, uh, and particularly because they have a low style bias and they're very well positioned. Another way to look at it is if you're holding very long data duration, Right now, it's probably underperforming, uh, but in a correction, it should outperform. So this is actually a little position that you can have on the side to ensure against that phase of consolidation. Consolidation, which we expect, will be short-term and will lead to a lot of discrimination where portfolio managers and analysts make a huge difference. Not everything is going to rally after that. So it sounds like you need active managers right now. Um, last week on Thursday, we had the, the traditional sort of Jackson Hole Fed update, albeit virtually this year um, and there's been a shift in their language around the inflation targeting um, they've sort of using average inflation target now could you explain to us why this is important and also what the likely outcome of their new policy will be 
Well, the way to look at it is if you have been below 2% for a while, you have to make it up uh, in a moderate fashion, not an excessive fashion, in the years to come, which means accepting higher, wa higher wages, higher inflation. That means your average worker will be doing well. So the cyclical sectors, for example, the ability of demand to stay quite resilient should be quite good. Why? Because wages will be uh, better supported than they would be otherwise. So it's a good environment for part of the stock market, not all of the stock market. And what they are also focused is on lower income. And that means they want to see that the lower income start to make tractions because one of the issues in American society is a great discrepancy between the bottom tier and the top tier it's on a fantastic scale. And they're yeah. trying to basically to reconverge it. And if the Democrats come in, then it's, it's going to be even more aggressive in this direction. The important part of, of this is in terms of fixed income, it means that the Fed eventually will tighten but very slowly uh, to keep inflation around probably around 3%, which is what the market will be focused on. Little spike at most at 3.5, maybe 4%. And they'll accept this higher level of inflation, which means that U.S. Treasuries in two years to two, in two years or so two to, uh, to four, are not priced correctly, and of course we've seen yields back up on, on the back of this announcement. Announcement, which is widely expected, inflation is not an issue now because we are far below output gap. The economy has a lot of slack. Not a lot of people are unemployed. This is not an issue. But if you go down one year or two years down the road, then things will start to be different. Great. Thank you for that quick update. Um, that was fantastic. We've got a. a summary slide so perhaps we could just take a quick look at that now um, so we expect the overshoot in growth stocks um, the implication is to wait and buy on the dip of course this is not financial advice uh, we're, we're not in the position to offer financial advice this is just an opinion um, and you're looking at inflation okay 2022 seems a, a long way out um, it is, yeah. It will, yeah yeah but uh, it's something that to keep an eye on uh, right now Indeed, and, and you can express it via other positions such as gold, which actually has been under for, um, underperforming recently, but people have been afraid of inflation, currency debasements and the like, and they've used different ways to hedge against it. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Sebastian, for your time today. Uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Uh, we're gonna move now across to our key speaker, who is Hilda Jensen, and Hilda is um, head of our fundamental Equity Boutique, uh, based in Copenhagen. Hilda, are you there? Good morning. Good morning to you, Paul. Hey, hi. So we normally start off with a with a question, um, just about perhaps about your background or, or you know about investing or whatever it might be. And I was I was just wondering because uh, you've you've worked in the U.S. for many years. You've worked at a, a lot of different banks and and done a lot of different roles. Um, how did you actually get into investing what what sort of got caught your interest and, and what were your first memories basically of investing well uh, boy yeah that's a good <laughs> icebreaker Paul <laughs> thanks for that question I think um, well my first memory uh, must have been when I was quite young and I I do remember I was sitting at the dinner table and uh, listening to my parents and my parents are, I would consider quite rational, um, calm Scandinavian people, <laughs> rarely disagreeing about anything except for this one dinner where uh, the question was whether or not my father was going to sell a specific stock, a stock in the company that he had been working in for a long time, which was now being acquired by another company. My mother said, you know, Olav, you need to sell 
out of this stock. You have no idea what's going to happen to this company. You're leaving the company now and you never know what's going to happen. My father said, you know what? I still think there is some value here in this company. And they completely uh, disagreed and passionately so. So <laughs> I just thought this was great. I mean, how can two people have such two different opinions about one piece of paper somehow connected to a company? And that's when I decided I need to learn more about what this stock thing and, and uh, investing is all about. Great. And so they didn't have to resort to sort of paper, stone, scissors uh, to, to sort that one out. <laughs> I think my mother won in the end, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true of most relationships. <laughs> the lady wins. <laughs> Great. Well, the, the main topic for today was actually to talk about um, a transition that, that you've been involved in, and that's the move of the fundamental equities team from a traditional team um, to a wholly ESG uh, responsible investing um, lineup and that's a, a process that's been ongoing for a few years now so I just wondered um, if to start off you could explain to us a little bit of the background and, and why it is that we've decided to do this and, and go this route. Yeah, you know, I think, well, first, uh, I'd like to, to say Nordea has been investing in ESG for a very long time. So this is nothing new per se. We have over a decade's worth of experience in investing in sustainable products. And this is what we've been offering our clients. Um, and we also have benefited of more than a decade's worth of analysis in this uh, space. So I thought there was a great opportunity here to focus even more on our core skills. Um, and also be more visible um, with respect to our clients in terms of the types of products that we offer. I also think the second part, which is equally important, is that it is ESG investing is really aligned with the way that we think and the way that we invest. As fundamental equities, as the name suggests, we are fundamental investors. We take the long-term view on the companies that we invest in. And I think the way of, of looking at how to price sustainable competitive advantage is very much aligned with looking at those factors that can contribute to this kind of journey. So from an investment perspective, um, I think ESG is very much aligned. And the last part I would mention is that, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be able to show some results in terms of how ESG yep. is actually contributing to uh, our performance. And there um, we can show very strong results, both vis-a-vis -vis our peers over the last decade and also relative to our benchmarks. I'm glad you mentioned that. I've got some figures for you later, uh, some good figures, but I, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, so the next question was related to perhaps the more operational side, because saying you're going to do ASG is one thing, doing it is, is something completely different. And I, I can only imagine that this has had a huge impact in, in terms of the way you work, in terms of the way you're set up and the structure of the team and the operations behind that. So maybe you could just talk us through that part of it. Sure. I think there's two things that have been very um, important in transitioning the whole boutique towards a more ESG focus or 100% focus. Uh, and the first is the cooperation with the responsible investment team, which we uh, work very, very closely with, um, has been 
even more developed. And part of that collaboration has to do with the way that we engage with some of the companies um, that we invest in, which I think is very um, valuable for us, both as an in, um, as a information source, but also in terms of being able to move the needle on ESG in the right direction in the companies that we invest in. So um, the overall team, Fundamental Equities, we are 25 investment professionals located both here in Copenhagen and also in Stockholm. And we're uh, supported by the 18 ESG specialist strong responsible investment team. And, and this is uh, the development uh, that has been one of the, the two, I think, major developments. The second part is that we've also taken the opportunity to calibrate some of the ESG models that we have here internally, and that can help us quantify some of the material ESG risks that are both associated with individual companies, but also with overall sectors. So it gives us a very valuable source of information, both from a historical perspective, but, but also from uh, the perspective that it provides some um, important information that we can take and analyze uh, and, and also base our expectations on. So this is very much a forward-looking type of uh, exercise. Mm -hmm. And, and here at Nordea, whenever we talk about uh, ESG, what we're actually talking about is the, mainly it's the STARS range. Um, and, and the STARS range, is, there's two elements to that. There's one, which are the, the two deltas, the ESG delta and the investment delta. Um, but also it's the idea that, that you're trying to identify the STARS of tomorrow, the companies that are going to do well in the future. Um, could you talk to us about how you go about identifying those, those STARS? Sure, I'm happy to do that. I think we actually have a slide on that. Um, and Good. there are basically three components um, to this equation. And um, I think each one of them brings something interesting to the table. The yeah. first is, is basically that our approach of of uh, excluding some of the worst offenders on ESG from our investment universe. And that is by having a, a fairly straightforward scoring system here internally, where our investment team works closely with the responsible investment team and um, bring together both qualitative and, and quantitative analysis. So we come up with a, a, a fairly straightforward way of scoring A, B, or C companies. C companies are excluded, A's and B's are okay. Um, but I think the most important about the scoring system is not particularly what rating uh, the individual company ends up with. It is the fact that we're actually able to see that there is a potential in the future for some improvement on ESG factors, which is very interesting to us because these factors could be significantly mispriced in some cases. The second part is, as you refer to, Paul, it is this, this concept of delta or change, the movement in the right direction. And we take a holistic view of this by, by basically superimposing our fundamental view of uh, a company's financial prospects with the ESG lens. And I think both bring uh, very valuable information to the table, but I also think that you need to put the whole thing together in order to truly understand a company from a 360 degree angle. Um, and, and this is the collaboration, what I also refer to as the secret sauce of the STARS <laughs> concept, because this is where it all comes together in the engine room. 
And the final part, um, sorry, there's, there's one more part. Um, the final part is the uh, opportunity to, in some cases, also engage with companies. And here, I think the most important uh, change that we've implemented is a process around how we prioritize as PMs, as analysts, the types of companies that we want to engage with. So you've just outlined the process uh, of the stars, you know, looking at the companies, but obviously the environment is also important, the environment that these companies find themselves in, um, both, I guess, from the investment perspective, but also from the team. Um, can you explain to us a little bit about those external factors and how they play a role uh, in, the, in the portfolio management? Yes, I think the environment uh, that we operate in is constantly changing. And I think that is uh, a very important uh, aspect to, to uh, incorporate in the investment process. Um, I, I don't think you can look at any company in, in insulation relative to what's going on in the world around us. And I think the, the pandemic crisis we're going through is a great example of that. I think uh, in, in most cases, equity markets are quite calm, just like the skies on this uh, beautiful slide. <laughs> it is a beautiful it's, slide. <laughs> <laughs> it, it basically uh, makes it very relatively simple to identify the stars of tomorrow. Um, and, and almost anyone can do that. The, the question in our mind as investors is, what about the stars that are not easily identified? Um, those are the stars that could be very interesting from an uh, alpha perspective. Perspective, uh, from a value generation perspective. And, and those are um, the companies that could be mispriced for various reasons, sometimes for very good reasons. Um, but those are the kinds of star companies that we're looking for um, to be included in our portfolios. And I think if we look at the current environment here, you have uh, a significant concentration of technology stocks that have taken on the leadership. Um, and, and I think the interesting part of that is that that has created a regime in equity markets where you can now look at technology uh, companies that have been growing perhaps 20, 25% over the last five, 10 years that are now kind of coming into a maturing cycle and therefore throwing off about 20, 25% uh, return on invested capital. And in return, investors have been piling into these kinds of stocks uh, for good reason. In a low growth world, there's a premium on growth. There's a premium on the ability to, to um, demonstrate that kind of uh, return and also stability of cash flows. But what we saw in March for this year, um, just to, to prove the point of how important the environment is, mm. there we can observe, observe some of these companies trading at a 30 to 40% discount to the equivalent values of about a month ago. Same company, same assets, but the problem is markets are forward-looking as um, we are also as investors. We look at two, three, sometimes five years, and, and say, what is a company's, we ask ourselves, what is the uh, company's ability to earn cash flows in the future? And the moment there is uncertainty about that cash flow, then that is what triggers some of these, um, air, what I call air pockets in, in equity markets. And it is an incredibly important part of investing, how you handle volatility, but also it is important, I think, to have your plan ready to execute. So when that um, drop comes, then um, you're able to act on your plan. 
Yeah, talking about the, the concentration, I heard someone say the other day they, they shouldn't call it the S&P 500, it should be the S&P 5. Yes, I've heard that too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's a good line. <laughs> um, but, but you're talking about these disvaluation gaps appearing. And, and of course, you know, particularly this year, we've seen that, that markets can shift very rapidly in one direction or, or the other. Um, I just wondered how you managed to um, adapt and, uh, and to the various portfolios that you're running in times of market stress. What, what do you do? How do you handle that? Mm, I think there's... There's two really important things um, to to bear in mind when you go into these uh, situations where it's not a starry night. Things are kind of looking dark. Um, in exactly. fact, even darker than this picture sometimes. Um, and and I think there uh, there is absolutely no substitute for a very experienced team, which um, I think fundamental equities. Uh, the period that we just went through, we saw firsthand, and, and I saw. Um, managing the team during this volatile period, how important it is to have people who have lived through similar volatile periods and, and can draw on the experience and, and share this experience across the team. So, so, so there, I think um, experience is, is very important. The other part, I think, is, uh, is also crucial, and that is to have a process around how you make decisions in, in periods of great stress. And if you think about it um, from a little bit of a different angle, it is a great way to stress test your investment process in a, in a way where you, um, where you go in and you obviously uh, done all your homework on the companies that are uh, both in the portfolio, but you also typically have a, a quite significant bench of potential inclusions uh, just in case things should uh, be mispriced uh, during periods like this. So I think having a clear plan, what to do, how to execute um, is, is very important. And last, I would say um, I'm very, very proud of the team uh, that has been able to deliver and actually managing the portfolios both in a strong and generating strong results relative to peers and markets during this time, but equally um, a, a big thank you to all the other parts of the organizations that, that helped us execute during this volatile time period. And that includes trading, of course, as all of our uh, portfolios are global in nature and markets are open, um, not 24-7, but close uh, to 24-7. And that just requires significant support when things are moving uh, rapidly. And also, of course, last but not least, um, our, our client support and, um, and some of our clients we also experienced it, decided to come in with additional, allocate additional capital during this time. Um, and, and for that, we are very, very grateful. And um, yeah, I think, I think on, on that note though, Paul, uh, if I can mention one thing, uh, a question that often comes up is that during this time, when the market was moving quickly, we also saw some significant dislocation in, in energy stocks specifically. And yeah. I think it's, it's also important for us to be aware of what kind of structural um, exposure that we have in our portfolios. Our stores portfolios being sustainable portfolios are less exposed to energy stocks. In fact, some portfolios have uh, no exposure to energy stocks. And we tend to be um, investing in higher quality companies. 
And sometimes in, in relatively fast growing companies uh, such as technology stocks. And so we had some tailwind from these, from these two exposures, but most of the outperformance came from stock specifics um, and our ability to basically pick the, the right stocks. Yeah. You mentioned there that, that we were seeing inflows and I am, um, you know, ESG investing is obviously becoming more and more important. And I heard someone say that the fundamental equities team is the growth engine for, for Nordir Asset Management. Uh, probably no surprise there, but a bit of pressure there for you. I just wondered how then do you go about setting up the team so that you can deliver on that success? Yes, I think, well, one thing with a growth engine that comes to mind is, is to, to be an engine, you need to be in the engine room, in the machinery room. And, um, and I think there, uh, to my, uh, my view of, of where, uh, where we can continue to grow and uh, perform is in our ability to retain uh, and develop the people on the team. And I think that's a really important aspect of it. I think it's also important that our analysts and PMs are tied into the specific products, um, meaning that their ability to perform is tied into how well the products perform. Um, and that way we're fully aligned with the experience that our clients uh, are getting. And I think that part is, is crucial, a uh, part of our journey going forward. And I also think that there are, there are a couple of other components that um, are perhaps not so easy to quantify, but equally important. And that is the, the element of trust. To have mm -hmm. this kind of a team where, if you think about what we really do is to um, do something that's fundamentally different from the market and hence our ability to outperform the market. But that means that we have to have trust both in the process um, yeah. that we adhere to, but also the people that we surround ourselves with. And finally, uh, we have to also establish a culture where it's okay to be wrong. And uh, that might be sound surprising to a lot of people because, wow, we should never be wrong, right? <laughs> but the fact is we're expected to be wrong. But the, the, the main point here, I think, is our ability to learn and take our, both our successes and our failures to, to uh, establish an even wider library of, of knowledge and to be able to share this knowledge in the team. A couple of times you, you've mentioned performance, which is obviously uh, an important factor when uh, it comes to uh, different different funds. But um, I've got some some facts for you. You're probably aware of these, but maybe just for the audience, I think it's uh, important to, to point this out. So first of all, uh, it seems that all of the star strategies run by your team are either first or second decile solutions within their respective Morningstar categories. That's my first fact. Uh, I've got another one for you. Um, all have generated alpha versus their respective benchmarks over one year, three years, and since inception. And then finally, I've got another one for you. Um, all of them grew their respective AUM over the past 12 months, which we just touched on. How come, what do you put this success down to? Because it's obviously not chance because it's all of the products in the, in the range. So yeah, what, What's the secret? 
Well, I think um, uh, I think the main secret here is is actually no secret at all. To me, the <laughs> the obvious value is the people uh, of this team, the people that every day um, come in and question whether or not they own the right stocks in their respective portfolios um, and and sharing the knowledge with each other. So um, I am incredibly proud of this team for for everything that they um, and we together have accomplished. Um, and I think it is also a testament to, to having a shared um, research platform and a platform of knowledge where we both share investment experience, but we also document on um, a, the ESG aspects of investing. And I think I, that, that part is going to be even more critical going forward because my experience tells me that our clients would like to see even more information on, okay, if I invest in your stars fund, what kind of impact do I have, not just on the business that you invested on my behalf, but also on the society? What can you tell me about um, how you think about that? And I think that kind of dialogue is something that we welcome very much because that means that, that we are able to share how we think, how we operate, and, and also our path forward. It's great you mentioned that because actually last week we had our CEO, uh, Niels, on the, uh, on the Morning Espresso, and he was mentioning as well how important it is to, to also report on these funds and, and you know, show the difference that we can make uh, through these ESG portfolios. So um, that's good. We're running a little bit short on time. I did have one last question I just wanted to ask you, and that's um, regarding the the integrated ESG, because I think that's what really sort of sets us apart perhaps from other solutions that are out there. The fact that we have this responsible investment team who are dedicated to the STARS product. So maybe you could just touch on that um, before we, we close for this morning. Yes, um, I'll be happy to do that. I think one of the big trends that we see specifically in Europe is the movement towards a common set of standards for ESG investing, which is something that we think is a positive um, development. And I think the first step towards that is the uh, country or regional specific labels that sort of set common standards for that country or that region. and. We are very proud to have 19 of these ESG designations, uh, label designations across STARS products. And we also think it's important to, to show um, in terms of our MSCI ESG rating as an example of one of several examples, but to be able to show clients that we are uh, creating a positive momentum in ESG, that we're moving in the right direction with the companies that we invest in. And then we also spend quite a bit of resources on documenting and also sharing the um, type of information that we get through engagements and how we do our engagements with our clients. And I think that's important for clients to understand the kind of exposures they have, but also how their investments um, have a potential impact on the businesses that we invest in. And then finally, uh, a popular measure is to take the CO2 intensity of uh, a portfolio and, um, and compare it both to, to peers and benchmark. Uh, this one is uh, comparing it uh, against the benchmark. And here we can show an average STARS portfolio has about a 50% reduction vis-a-vis -vis benchmarks. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, uh, Hilda. I think that's been super interesting, this transition uh, that we've seen within your team. And, and also congratulations to, to everyone involved because it's, uh, it's obviously got to a fantastic start and, and we're getting some great results coming out of that. So that's great news. We've got um, a summary slide that we just quickly whip through um, at the end here. So... Um, yeah, as we've mentioned, we've the fundamental equity team has has really turned to to the ESG, um, and uh, you know we we really see ourselves at the forefront here. Um, the the full integration of the ESG aspects into the process, um, the the investment driven uh, engagement, but also in terms of the reporting and how we can demonstrate uh, the positive things that we're doing with these portfolios is absolutely fantastic and uh, we like to talk about walking the talk not just talking the talk anything else just before we close no i think that was short and sweet paul <laughs> <laughs> that's great all right well thanks again um next week i will be talking global stable equities with klaus vorm from our multi-assets team in copenhagen so dial in for that one next week in the meantime don't forget to visit our microsite at nordia.lu um, and there you will find all of the previous um, interviews that we've had but also podcasts and q a's as well and with that i will wish you a good week and see you next wednesday Thank you.